stories, spirituality, pathways, and aliens. You're here on The Long Road Home. Hello, everybody. Hello. Happy Friday. TGIF. What are you doing? What are you getting into this weekend? Hope you're cracking open a, a brewski with the boys. Is that <laughs> what you're doing? Maybe you're having a glass of wine at your favorite wine venue, and you've got your headphones in because you're ignoring everyone around you. So either way, welcome. You I'm do Chad. You. And I'm Emily. Welcome to the Long Road Home. Uh, we are here today, happy, vexed up, and this week I went inside a store without a mask for the first time in a year. What? Yeah, honestly, it gave me a lot of anxiety. Yeah, but um, I feel that. Yeah, I hated it. <laughs> it, <laughs> it felt really weird. I couldn't stop thinking about what my mouth might be doing, and I could taste the air inside the grocery store, and it was fucking nasty. That's what I'm worried about. I'm worried about the facial expressions that I've been able to hide the last year that now will just be. I did kind of have to think about that. Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like I've been talking shit about people underneath my breath. You absolutely in my have. mask. I mean, yeah, I know I have. Confirm. There's no. I think I have been doing that. <laughs> Uh, so now I have to maybe watch what I'm doing and someone might be looking at me while I'm th- looking at them and also muttering shit now at them under my breath. Yeah. You fucking stupid ass. You're eating all the granola. I wanted some of that granola and you got it before I did and I don't like you because of it. But they don't hear any of that. They just see me mouthing at them and then they're just confused. Uh, I don't know. probably concerned. Yes, probably. I just don't understand though why everyone's been bitching about not wearing masks because honestly, every one of you is, are really gross. We're all <laughs> nasty. The air tasted weird. And uh, I'm just, I'm not trying to inhale your skin flakes unless we are physically having sex. That's the only time they're going to taste good. We all know it. Oh, no. It's the only time. <laughs> oh, no. So I, yeah, I've decided there's yeah. like, I'm going to keep trying it, I guess, but only at certain places. There's some places that I don't think I will ever stop wearing my mask. I now will that I've forever wear a mask at Walmart. That's yeah, what I think so. I really think so. But anyway, we yeah. So that that did happen this week. That's what I've been up to. But um, yeah. No, that's interesting that you should talk about it about like how gr- how gross we all are and how gross it will be moving forward. I I work at, or I volunteer my time at a co working space here in Bozeman. Uh, hashtag Skyoro, go check it out. But yeah, I was dis infecting the space the other day because that's just what we do like every hour because of the pandemic and I was thinking about like we're not going to stop doing this right because this is this is actually probably a pretty good habit like I don't care to go around and disinfect everything it's really gross to think about the times that we weren't disinfecting like the doorknobs and shit yeah I want to be pure I want to be pure forever (laughs) the Danny DeVito gif (laughs) sliding down on covered in germex yeah exactly that will be me if we're not careful uh either way though I mean I'm glad the pandemic is slowing down at least a little bit I'm glad we're vexed and uh, I still like I said still plan on wearing my mask if not simply despite the anti-maskers Exactly. Really and truly, just yeah. to do it. I might even draw a big old dick show on mine. Who you are. Yep, the, the dick giving them the middle finger. Oh and wow! Then, yeah, really lay it on thick, make them angry, and see what they do. I'll be curious to see how that turns out. <laughs> well, <laughs> I'm also excited to go on some adventures we had planned for last year, aren't you? Yeah. Yeah, we got Man. we had a lot planned. It we was, had a lot planned last year. We did. I, I all, kind of I'm sure everyone did, it. but I know that's everybody did, and everybody experienced that loss last year. But I like. I think I deleted that stuff from my memory. I think I blacked it out just to like protect my own heart. Like there were so many concerts and shit we were going to go. Yeah, a ton. See? We had a lot planned, but hopefully we'll be able to get back out there and do it. Maybe you will too. And maybe we can even make some new adventures like trying to explore far off lands underneath the ground. 
Wait, what? Yeah. What you talk about, Willis? Well, it's the topic <laughs> of our episode this week. Sorry, I'm laughing because I can't remember <laughs> the last time I said that. <laughs> it's been a while. Wow. Yeah. That used to be a go-to quote for me. It was. She loved it. Well, today we are not talking about Willis. This is not different strokes, unfortunately, because we'd be a lot richer if it was. <laughs> but uh, we're talking about the Hollow Earth Theory. Yeah, man. <laughs> we're, we're doing a classic. Yeah, classic and very large <laughs> Yeah, you couldn't see the blankets. No. <laughs> All right. Quote, unquote, classic. Definitely a little silly, but interesting nonetheless. And surprisingly, like, there's a lot more. There was a lot more to this than I thought. So, anyway. I'll let you dive in, Chad. Long before you and I were born, sometime between the discovery that Earth was round and our gradual freefall into stupidity that created flat earthers, the hollow Earth theory was born out of a curiosity about what exactly was inside the Earth. It's an idea that is often overlooked these days, although for decades it's been the inspiration for numerous books and movies. Today, we're going to take a closer look at hollow Earth theory, so uh, drink a few glasses of wine, smoke a nice big duber, and put on your silly googly eye glasses and top hat for this one, because honestly, this shit is silly as fuck. I'm not here to... I like it. <laughs> I like it. I'm, I'm not here to tell you that an ancient group of people doesn't live inside the Earth, but rather to provide you with the information that we've gathered and hope that you can come to that conclusion on your own. Perfect. Really, exactly. really hope you I can. mean, that's really what we hope for any of these topics, you guys. We don't claim to have all the answers. Um, we don't claim that this is real. This is a very uh, just uh, absurd, absurd thing to believe in in two, 2021. But it's yeah. it's a fun thought experiment. We like to provide you with the resources and the information that we have come across and then allow you to kind of come to your own conclusions. Yeah. So enter into this world with us. Haha, <laughs> get it? Oh, yeah. That's I did. Good. <laughs> wow, look at me go. I take no responsibility if you do decide that the earth is, in fact, hollow. No, yeah. that's not my fault. And that's not my problem. Nope. I am just here to entertain. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> All right. So before we dive in, let's go ahead and thank our sources. And there are quite a few of them there because are. Uh, it was hard to dig up any real giant swath of information from one single source. But OK, so let's go ahead and list them. We have ActiveNorCal.com, AtlasObscura.com, Medium.com, Gaia.com, GQ.com, HistoricalBlindness.com, we have a YouTube video, uh, an article from uh.edu, and a ton of stuff from Wikipedia, and lastly, an article from Wired.com, which is not really super important to the story, but it's something that I found that I thought was cool we can talk about later. And again, just in case you're wondering, you can find all of these links um, to our sources in the Discord. Yes, please join the Discord. We'd love to see you in there. We post all of our source links. We post dank memes. We're even in there just hanging out, waiting for someone to talk to us. It's a little quiet, but we're growing, and I appreciate all of our Discord members, and thank you guys so much for being here and listening and just enjoying the content we make. Go join the Discord. By the way, you can find the link to our Discord uh, on our Instagram page at the underscore LRH underscore pod. Absolutely. Join us. Yes, hop in. Okay. For those listeners who haven't heard the news about hollow earth theory, the crux of it is that earth is a shell with walls about 800 miles thick. In the polar regions, there are holes 1,400 miles across, with edges that curve smoothly from the outside of the shell around to the inside. 
A sea or surface traveler could proceed over an edge of the hole, like an ant crawling over the lip of a coffee mug from the outside to the inside, and not be aware that he was actually entering the interior of the earth. Yeah, that's exactly what we're talking about today. I wonder what we're going to be thinking of as ridiculous science in 800 years. I have a theory about this. Oh, yeah? I have a theory about this that I think will make it make more sense, but I'm going to save it for the end. Okay. But remind me. To okay, yeah, I will. Because <laughs> I might just forget. No, that. I want to know now. Okay. There have always been ideas that something is laying underneath the surface of the earth. We see some version of an alternative world lurking underground in just about any religion you see. The idea of subterranean realms seemed arguable and became intertwined with the concept of places of origin or afterlife, such as the Greek underworld, the Nordic Svartalfheimer, Svartalheimer, full of fish and potatoes for the dead. Nordic paradise. Yes. Um, the Christian hell and the Jewish uh, Sheol. Sheol? Sheol. Sure. I, say that. I I'm not Jewish, so I honestly am not familiar with that concept. I didn't think that Judaism had a heaven or a hell. I looked it up. Look it's not necessarily that. a heaven or a hell. It's just a place you go when you die. Huh. Yeah. I didn't know. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I want to look more into that. The idea of a subterranean realm is also mentioned in Tibetan Buddhist belief in an ancient city called Chambala, which is located inside the earth. You could also find Native American stories of people emerging from caves in the distant past establishing where many tribes originated from. Obviously, most of these underground domains were more allegorical and religious tools used to deter people from sinning, rather than realms actively being sought out. Some people, however, were convinced that our planet was a hollow shell with a civilization of earthly ancients residing underground. The French novelist Jules Verne, known for his series Voyages Extraordinaires, wrote Journey to the Center of the Earth, around the time that the belief in a subterranean society peaked. So I'm assuming that that's what the movie's based off of, right? Journey to the Center of the Earth? Yeah. It had Jack Black in it. God. Is it, it Jack Black? No, no, no. It was, uh, what's was his name it? from The Mummy? Oh, Brendan Fraser. Brendan Fraser. Yeah, you're thinking. Yeah. I'm, I'm, okay, what am I thinking of? I'm thinking, thinking of the of King the, Kong movies. You're thinking of the Caveman movie with Jack Black. No, not with Michael Sarah and him. No, that's <laughs> that's a funny movie. That's not what you're thinking of. Uh, fun fact, assumed. though, apparently the new Godzilla and King Kong movie also has mentions of Hollow Earth in it, which I did not know when we started to make this. Oh, really? Yeah. Look at us being so relevant. Very much so. Jules Verne, also, you pronounced his uh, series wrong. It's Voyages Extraordinaires. Oh, thank you. Thank you for that clarification. You're welcome, everybody. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Before Verne, the hollow earth concept was originally proposed in the 17th century by Edmund Haley, discoverer of the short orbit comet that swings past Earth every 75 years or so, otherwise known as Haley's Comet. Isn't it crazy? All these like we've talked about a lot of people during our episodes that were semi at least semi famous for something that believed very uh, strange things. Yeah, definitely. Uh-huh. And, and I feel like those strange things that they believed are definitely not as well known as the other discoveries that these people No, made. no. They kind of just got like shoved under the rug. Yeah, he found a comet theory. and also he thought the earth was completely hollow on the inside. Right. <laughs> kind of. He actually, it was, we'll, we'll, we're going to get yeah, into it. Yeah, we'll get it. into it. His extensive work on earth's magnetic field had left him perplexed by the strange meandering of the magnetic poles and a calculation by his contemporary, Isaac Newton, had shown that the moon was far more dense than the Earth. That later proved to be wrong, but at the time, Haley bought it. As these two problems weighed on Haley's mind, he proposed that Earth is made of 
of three concentric rotating shells and a sphere in the middle. The inside spaces were filled with a luminous atmosphere, and the shells were populated with all sorts of living creatures. The spaces explained why Earth was less dense than we'd expect. The rotating shells explained magnetic variations. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, it is. It kind of reminds me of astral planes. Yeah, totally. A little bit. Mm-hmm. Which, honestly, they, I mean, I guess at the time they were less common, that thought pattern mm-hmm. about astral planes was, I, I guess, right? No, yeah, I would say so. At least in, I would I would assume in Haley's and Newton's realm. Yeah, they don't believe that bullshit, but the Earth has rings on the inside. Exactly. <laughs> um, Haley believed the Earth consisted of several concentric shells separated by individual atmospheres, with the outermost layer having a thickness of about 500 miles. Haley believed natural phenomena like the aurora borealis and magnetic field variants were products of these multiple layers, which he said moved independently of one another. I guess at the time it wasn't like the worst theory in the it world. Really no isn't. one fucking knew I what mean, was honestly, inside the earth. Yeah. <laughs> like the closest thing they have is volcanoes and they're just giant pits of fucking flaming molted liquid. They well, probably didn't even know what that was. Seriously. Really? And, and I like the fact that he was exp- he was trying to explain away the magnetic variations, right? Like we have this this idea of how to be moving around the earth, but it seems to shift, you know. Yeah. I, I don't know. I kind of I like I understand his approach. Look, I don't know how the fuck magnetic poles work. I, to this day, no clue. No, cl- I don't even know how magnets work, much less the magnetic poles of the Earth. I it's, thought I knew how they worked until I found out that they were moving, and now I'm like, what the fuck? Yeah, they're, they're, <laughs> they're drifting. Uh, you're, they have, you have to If you're using a compass, you have to adjust, depending on where you are in the world, you have to adjust your compass by a certain number of degrees to account for that strange, from where you are from the pole. It's just all so strange. It's mm-hmm. so weird. More than a century later, Haley's theory was expounded on by John Cleves Sims, who published a paper detailing his intent to travel to the Earth's interior. In 1818, John Cleves Sims Jr. published his Circular Number One, declaring to the world that the Earth is hollow. Sims, a veteran of the War of 1812 and unsuccessful trader, soon became maybe the most famous and successful proponent of the hollow Earth theory. His initial vision of the Earth's interior was like a simplified version of Halley's multi-layered model, with the exception that Sims' version included huge holes at the North and South Poles, which allowed access to the hidden world inside. These holes, his unique addition to the hollow Earth theory, would even come to be known as Sims' holes. In his very first declaration, Sims proposed to mount an expedition to the North Pole, where he was sure they could locate one of these apertures and gain access to the inner Earth. God, the the Earth was so unexplored back then. It's so and cool also, to think about, though. It uh, is. I think that I think it would have been so neat. Oh, to, it'd like, be discover to be a, a, a an explorer. That would be really, yeah. really cool. It's just d- totally different time period. We are talking hundreds of years ago now as well. Like mm-hmm. this is a old, old idea. Yeah, I honestly didn't realize how old this theory was. No, me either. He also believed that the interior of the Earth not only could but did support life, saying in circular number one that the inside of the Earth would be quote stocked with. Thrifty vegetables and animals, if not men. <laughs> thrifty huh. veggies. Thrifty. Yeah, not regular veggies. Thrifty veggies. Hardy, I bet. That's, a, that's, probably what that's thinking, literally right? what I thought it was like. like hardy. Yeah. It's like Bugs Bunny cartoon where he's picking yeah. the carrots from underneath the fucking farm. Yeah. And they're all just shooting down into the earth. That's what's happening when your carrots go missing, it's everybody. Thrifty carrot. <laughs> 
Sims believed that his theory was not science fiction, but science fact, and that it applied not only to the Earth, but to all planetary bodies. To him, the whole universe was hollow. Yeah, that's where it starts to get really strange, is that's where a lot of this ended up, is like, not only is the Earth hollow, the universe is hollow, and we are like a space within a, a hollow universe. Mm. Like the universe itself is its own is in one of these rings that they're talking about. You start to hear that a lot as you're looking through this. That that's what people started to just believe. I think it's a it's a way to explain away the unexplainable. Like there, the universe is so massive and unknown that this at least contains it in some way. Yeah, it's fucking hilarious to me looking into stuff like this that people are like, we never used to do stuff this way or that way. It's like, man, you. People a hundred years ago thought the fucking there were dinosaurs underneath the earth oh, that yeah. were alive and there were just spaces that they could go visit. Or the concave earth theory, which I'm not sure if we're going. We're going to talk, talk about, about that, that later, like, but that yeah, that was wild. Uh huh. It's fucking like silliness. But no, we were very serious. You back know then. how many very times, serious people. Do you know how many times humanity thought that they had something figured out and they were completely off? Like all the time, constantly. all the freaking time. I just can't imagine what we have wrong right now. Oh, I could. I have a list. <laughs> I know. I mean, I could imagine <laughs> it, but you know what I mean. Um, even in the 19th century, Sim's theories were greeted with ridicule from the public and the scientific community, but he would not be silenced. Sims continued to campaign, giving lectures and publishing letters about Hollow Earth, always angling for an expedition to the North Pole that would prove his theory. Barreling right through the skeptics, Sims was eventually able to convince enough people of the possibility of his Hollow Earth that in 1822, he and his supporters actually got Congress to vote on funding for his expedition. What? Yeah, they were <laughs> that close. They were that close to going up there and just digging a hole right in the middle That's of the fucking crazy. Arctic and just to see see what was out there. Yeah, just uh, that also on the list of things that they were approving during that time was uh, silly hats, tall hats, monocles, mm-hmm. uh, approved for every man, I believe, and very thick, thick coats that you have to wear all year. Yes, just constantly sweating. <laughs> yeah, so hot. Old Tommy clothes looked so miserable. Totally. God. I felt. I bet you like are always chafing too from the rough. Yeah. Like tweed. Yeah. If only they'd made things out of hemp. This is now. This is a hemp podcast. Wow. Yeah. You know what? Just what turned it around. The solution. Hemp. Freaking hemp instead of <laughs> cotton. Oh Ooh, man. Oh, okay. Nope. Don't get riled, Emily. Nope. Back Keep it on. Calm. Back on Keep track. Keep it at a five. <laughs> The grant was shot down, but Sims' belief in the inner Earth never died. Sims devoted his life garnering support for a hollow Earth expedition, but fell sick during a trip to Quebec to give a lecture on his theory. Though he died before his journey ever came to fruition, his ambition aspired Arctic exploration and the first trip to Antarctica in 1838. That's cool that led to something tangible and actually meaningful in a way. A lot yeah. of, a lot of, and this is something that you'll see with a lot of science fiction, and I, you could call this science fiction at this point, especially um, that it it leads to a lot of uh, inspiration for technology. Absolutely, and I think that's really cool. You know what? It's crazy what can happen if we let people kind of run with their imaginations. Yeah, I think it's so. almost like if we allow people to think outside of the box, they in turn feel comfortable and even driven to create things. Yeah. What? It's wild. It is. If you empower somebody, then they actually could like <laughs> contribute to society. Mind blown. 
Sorry. Again, I'm hot. Wow, I'm hot today. Yeah. Sorry, everyone. It's okay. It's okay to be hot sometimes. Who wants to fight? <laughs> yeah. Fight 100. Emily's 110 pounds. Yeah. She's scrappy. I am fucking scrappy. 110 pounds of fight. Exactly. 110 pounds of pure muscle. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's very, very lean. Oh, man. <laughs> Fast forward another century between the time of the Great Depression and World War II as Admiral Richard E. Byrd of the U.S. Navy pioneered further exploration of the Poles. Um, Just want to point out that this guy was um, a part of the Navy. I don't know what is up with the Navy, but the Navy will um, crack the whole thing wide open one of these days. The whole what thing? The whole hollow earth thing? All of the things. Just all of them? Chad, all of the things. Yeah. Think about it. The this Navy is, does. This is back in the 40s, and the Navy was pioneering the hollow earth theory. Yeah, we'll go check out a hole, yeah. look for a hole in the middle yeah, of the Yeah, and earth. look what just happened on the news last week. Yeah, That's Navy right. is releasing UFO videos. Yeah, it's coming. I, I'm just We're saying. really close. The Navy's going to hack it. Yeah. We're going to crack it. Anyway, I don't know what I'm saying. Hack it, crack it, attack it. Yeah. Join the Navy. Join <laughs> the Navy. That's the new slogan for the Navy. <laughs> that's gonna, we're going to put that on a mug. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay. After a multitude of trips to the Arctic territories, there is one bird narrative that sticks out more than the rest. His record-setting flight over the North Pole. Ooh. Sorry. I, this, this is, I mean, no, I, it's I, a cool story. I liked this part of the story. For it is. Sure. According to an alleged diary entry written during his polar flight, Bird came across a warm, lush climate with mammoth-like creatures and an ancient human race that had been residing within the Earth. So, you guys, you are in for a little bit of a treat here. I dug and dug and dug and dug, and I found uh, Admiral Bird's actual account from his diaries. So, we're going to give you a like briefing of what happened and then we'll post the link to the video in the discord so you guys can watch the whole thing if you want yeah but, there's a lot more than what we have here but this is just it's, this is sort of like the beginning i guess really of what happened yeah so this is admiral bird and his crew were heading to the north pole to like be the first to fly to the north pole they headed out at 6 10 a.m by 9 o'clock, everything had been pretty well. They had hit a little turbulence along the way, but nothing was out of the ordinary. At 9.10, Bird wrote, Vast snow and ice below with coloration of yellowish nature and disperse in a linear pattern. Altering course for better examination, a pattern below. Note reddish or purple color also. Circle area twice and return to assigned compass heading. Position check, made again to base camp and relay information concerning colorations in the ice and snow below. By 9.10, both magnetic and gyro compasses have begun to gyrate and wobble. Um, they were unable to hold their heading by, instrument by instrumentation. They were able to take their bearing with a sun compass. Um, the controls were seemingly slow to respond and had a sluggish quality, but there was no indication of icing. At 9.15. In the distance is what appears to be mountains. It is no illusion. They are mountains consisting of a small range that I have never seen before. Okay, so now 10 minutes has passed, and it's now 10 a.m. We are crossing over the small mountain range and still proceeding northward as best can be ascertained. Beyond the mountain range is what appears to be a valley with a small river or stream running through the center portion. There should be no green valley below. Something is definitely wrong and abnormal here. We should be over ice and snow. To the port side are great forests growing on the mountain slopes. Our navigation instruments are still spinning. The gyroscope is oscillating back and forth. At this point, Admiral Byrd lowers altitude and executes a sharp turn to better examine the valley below. 
It is green with either moss or a type of knit grass. He says, The light here seems different. I cannot see the sun anymore. We make another turn and spot what seems to be a large animal below us. It appears to be an elephant. No, it looks more like a mammoth. This is incredible, yet here it is. Again, they decrease altitude and take binoculars to better examine the animal. It is confirmed. It is definitely a mammoth-like animal. They report this to base camp. At 10.30, he says, Encountering more rolling green hills now. The external temperature reads 74 degrees Fahrenheit? Continuing our heading now. Navigation instruments seem normal now. I am puzzled over their actions. Attempting to contact base camp. Radio not functioning. By 11.30, the countryside below is more level and normal. He makes sure to say, if I may use that word, which I thought was funny. Um, and then he says, Ahead, we spot what seems to be a city. This is impossible. Aircraft seems light and oddly buoyant. The controls refuse to respond. My God. Off our port and starboard wings are a strange type of aircraft. They're closing rapidly alongside. They are disc-shaped and have a radiant quality to them. They're close enough now to see the markings on them. It is a type of swastika. This note, is fantastic. Note, type of swastika. I think it is very important to note that he says type of swastika. I think that if it was a straight up Nazi swastika, he wouldn't use that language. I just wanted to include that there. There's some like thoughts and theories and discrepancies in this story, but in his actual account, that is the language that he, use. he uses. Anyway, he goes on. This is fantastic. Where are we? What has happened? I tug at the controls again. They will not respond. We are caught in an invisible vice of some type. At 11.35, their radio crackles and a voice comes through in English with what perhaps is a slight Nordic or Germanic accent. The message is... Welcome, Admiral, to our domain. We shall land you in exactly seven minutes. Relax. Admiral, you are in good hands. Admiral notes the engines of the plane have now stopped. The aircraft is under some strange control and is now turning itself. The controls are useless. They begin the landing process, and in moments the plane shudders slightly and begins a descent as though caught in some great elevator. The downward motion is negligible, and they touch down with only a slight jolt. At 11.45, Admiral Byrd says, quote, I am making a hasty last entry in the flight log. Several men are approaching on foot toward our aircraft. They are tall with blonde hair. In the distance is a large, shimmering city pulsing with rainbow hues of color. I do not know what is going to happen now, but I see no signs of weapons on those approaching. I hear now a voice ordering me by name to open the cargo door. I comply. So yeah, long story short, Admiral Byrd's plane was commandeered midair and landed for him by people in the center of the earth who intercepted his plane with saucer-shaped aircraft. Upon landing, he was met by emissaries of a civilization many assumed to be the mythical Agartha. Just in case we haven't actually said the name, there it is. This is the big one. What are they called? The Arians? The people that live there? You I... know what they, they said that they were called? Yeah, I you'll have to I don't know. Something like that. I don't know it's what I said. Close. I'll have to go find it and I don't I don't it wasn't Aryan, but it's pretty close. close. <laughs> These alleged Agarthans, we'll call them, expressed their concern about humanity's use of atomic bombs during World War II and employed Byrd as their ambassador to return to the US government and relay their sentiment. 
so Bird came back and gave us this big, giant, crazy story about what happened to him up there in Antarctica, right? He saw these people. He saw mammoths even, which is fucking, you know, maybe even cooler than the UFOs. But the striking issue regarding the validity of his diary entries is that it's dated in February 1947. I mean, he does mention atomic weapons and stuff, right? If it is to believe this story covers Byrd's inaugural flight over the North Pole, then one need only look at the actual date when he achieved this feat more than 20 years earlier, on May 9, 1928. In fact, upon further inspection, it appears Byrd might have uh, never actually reached the North Pole and instead fabricated his navigation records. Uh, and he basically just stole some stuff from another team and then was like, well, I didn't make it, but uh, man, whew, I gotta come back with something, right? And so he created this crazy story and people ate it up. They really liked it. They thought it was really cool that he did this. It should be noted, his career in the Navy did take place over the next 20 years. I mean, even in 1955, Byrd was made officer in charge of the United States Antarctic programs and was flying around the South Pole. So, yeah. Uh, Did he make it up? Did he get it confused somehow with his exploration to the South Pole? I don't know. Yeah, well, we may, well, we'll never know because he's dead. We'll never know. It doesn't, I mean, it's fine that he kept flying and stuff, though. I think, I don't think seeing strange stuff as a pilot was really that uh, looked down upon as it is now. Everyone was seeing shit back then. <laughs> Everyone thought they were seeing fucking UFOs and stuff. Um, but anyway, this, there is a chance, though, that this might have been potentially misconstrued from a later mission to Antarctica called Operation High Jump. Aha! Yeah, so High Jump was one of the largest operations ever conducted in Antarctica with over 4,000 men sent to the study, map, and reside on the continent for eight months. Their expedition included 13 Navy support ships, an aircraft carrier, helicopters, flying boats, and an array of more traditional aircraft. What is a flying boat? I've never heard of that, and I want to see it. Is it a blimp? No, no, it's uh, it's literally a flying boat. It's like one of the, It's like just like a giant plane, basically, that sits on top of the water. Whoa, gotcha. Yeah, so it's just a just a water boat, but a big giant one. So pretty cool. You mean like a you mean just a water plane? Mm-hmm. What'd I say? Water boat. Oh yeah, so just just literally just a, a plane boat, boat plane. We're just gonna keep saying these words until you don't understand what's happening. This expedition, as well as the subsequent Operation Deep Freeze eight years later, established an American military presence on Antarctica, which is prohibited today. So why exactly was there such a rush to facilitate this occupation? Bird later told a reporter for the Chilean newspaper El Mercurio that his expedition taught him the U.S. should, quote, prepare for the possibility of hostile planes coming from the polar regions as part of a, quote, recapitulation of his own polar experience, end quote. Many took this to be evidence of the flying craft he saw coming from what is to believe to have been Agartha. So, uh, once again, people just, whatever this guy said, they were believing it. He could have said fucking anything. He saw a flying purple people eater, and they were like, that shit's crazy, man. Here's a medal. You're doing so good in the Navy. Good job. There's a lot of other speculation regarding Bird's supposed search for Agartha that includes a Nazi presence in Arctic territory, both north and south. It is well documented that the Nazis explored Arctic regions to set up bases and uh, test novel weaponry, but it is also well documented that Hitler and the Nazis were obsessed with esotericism and the occult. So the rabbit hole just keeps going down, right? Some go even so far as to posit that Hitler could have escaped to this underground world, though that might be counterintuitive if an ancient enlightened society resided down there. They probably would not want him. He is definitely dead in a bunker somewhere or in the ground now, I guess. But uh, yeah, Hitler is not underground, unfortunately, for the Nazis. 
Probably for the best. <laughs> Definitely for the best. Absolutely. Yeah, there's for no the probably. Best. Don't just, uh, we're going to just cut that out. I think it's really dangerous. And again, I'm going to explain my theory at the end of this episode. I think it's really dangerous to assume that um, the, anything that has to do with the Hollow Earth is then inherently like Nazi propaganda or connected to the Nazis. But yeah, I'll explain. I'll explain my theory later. There are also Nazi maps that are believed to be instructions for reaching Agartha that have supposedly been corroborated by a letter from a German U-boat navigator named Karl Unger, who claims U-209 made it to Agartha and that oh, the Earth shit. is in fact hollow. The letter also mentions the notorious German General Karl Halshover and Rudolf Hess, who says they were correct about the hollow Earth theory. So they believed it. Man. Some of them anyway. Yeah. Along with this, there is other ample evidence that the Nazis spent a lot of resources searching for Agartha as a last resort for Hitler to escape in case of dire emergency, somewhat warranting these conspiracies. In fact, the most common diagram of Agartha was drawn by a German scientist in 1936. But yeah, so Nazis, uh, if they believed in, they would believe in just about anything, I guess. They were all methed up, running around the continent, shooting at people, uh, doing all sorts of terrible experiments. And they were very much all high on basically methamphetamine the whole entire time the war was going on. So I, I'm sure if they saw some, something like this, they were about it. They were interested. They wanted to know what was going on, right? Totally. They were tweaking. Yeah, all the time. But uh, since then, <laughs> very, very little actual research has been done surrounding the ideas of Hollow Earth. Mostly, this is due to the fact that it's been pretty solidly debunked at this point by science. During the time it was around, however, the idea of Hollow Earth produced lots of different worlds located right underneath our feet. Remember all that silly stuff we told you to wear while you were listening? Well, keep it on. We're going to take a closer look at some of the cities these Hollow Earthers claim to have knowledge of. Let's start with Shambhala, which is actually often confused or associated with the city of Agartha that we mentioned a second ago. So, in Tibetan Buddhism, there is a secret mystical city called Shambhala, located somewhere deep in the Himalayas. King Manjasakirti is said to have been born in 159 BC and ruled over a kingdom of 300,510 followers, very exact, some of whom... Uh, some of whom worshipped the sun. He is said to have expelled 20,000 people from his domain who clung to solar worship rather than convert to Kalashakra will of time Buddhism. After realizing these were the wisest and the best of his people and how much he was in need of them, he actually asked them to come back, and some did, because I guess he was like, hey, I kind of fucked up. Sorry, I banished you all. Uh, the sun's kind of cool, actually. I changed my mind. So the people that didn't come back, though, they are said to have set up the city of Shambhala. The king initiated the preaching of the Kalashakra teachings in order to try and convert those who returned and were still under his rule. In 59 BC, he abdicated his throne to his son, Pandarika, and died soon afterward. So this all happened, and that led to something called the Kalashakra Tantra Prophecies. That they state that when the world declines into war and greed and all is lost, the 25th Kalki king, Maitreya, will emerge from Shambhala with a huge army to vanquish dark forces and usher in a worldwide golden age. This final battle is prophesied for the year 2424 or 2425. So uh, that is in the 3304th year after the death of the Buddha. Thereafter, Buddhism would survive another 1,800 years. That's so weird that they have, uh, that's pretty metal, first off. Didn't know that was in Buddhism, and also that Buddhism just stops after a while, apparently. That's kind of weird. Yeah, that is interesting. That, so like, many different they beliefs. They predict it to yeah. just stop. Yeah, so many. But I love, yeah, the dark forces. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Or, excuse me, the army yeah. coming together to vanquish dark forces. Yeah, it's pretty can we, sweet. Can we um just do that now, though? Can we just, just like, end it? Ugh. Not wait 400 years? <laughs> <laughs> can we just do it now? Please. 
There was actually an expedition by Nicholas and Helena Rorick in 1924 to 1928. They they were looking for Shambhala. They also believed that the Baluka Mountain in the Altai Mountains was an entrance to Shambhala, which was apparently a common belief in that region. Inspired by theosophical lore and several visiting Mongol lamas, Gleb Boki, the chef Bolshevik cryptographer and one of the bosses of the Soviet secret police, along with his writer friend Alexander Barchenko, embarked on a quest for Shambhala as well, in an attempt to merge Kalashakra Tantra and the ideas of communism in the 1920s. So they were an uh, interesting mix of things that they were like, we can do this. What is Comrade, with these, we like, can mix these two things. dark world powers mixing... Like communism, war, oppression with esotericism, hollow earth. I just don't understand the connection. It's so interesting. To well, me. you could almost see it as like the, uh, the a lot of the big UFO, ufologists. They believe like lizard people were helping like the Nazis. So there are these different powers uh, that so then it's potentially falling into like the good powers versus yeah, the bad powers, exactly. or like gray aliens versus. I don't know the reptilians, right? Yeah. Okay, okay. I see what we're. I see where we're going. Yeah, it's just so. very interesting to think about. I like to think about, like even even this stupid hollow earth theory or UFOs or whatever, anything that lies beyond. I see those as like rays of hope for humanity. Yeah. So it's interesting to think of these dark powers at B. Yeah, using these messages for their agenda. Yep. Boki and Barchenko contemplated a special expedition to Inner Asia to retrieve the wisdom of Shambhala, but the project fell through as a result of intrigues within the Soviet intelligence service, as well as rival efforts in the Soviet Foreign Commissariat that sent its own expedition to Tibet in 1924. So they were already there long before these guys. They thought they had something original, and they didn't. You never had. There's no original ideas, guys. It's all been done. French Buddhist Alexandre David Neil associated Shambhala with Balkh in present-day Afghanistan, also offering the Persian Sham Ibala elevated candle as an etymology of its name. Many people have tried, but to this day, no one is known to have ever found Shambhala. So a lot of different groups of people were interested in finding this place. It's so interesting how different cultures have similar... Um, legends. Yeah, absolutely. Shambhala and Agartha are not the only places that uh, could be have people have looked for underground anyway. Right. So there's also in Hindu and Celtic lore, which some believe shared an ancient connection through a lost Antiluvian city, which I fucking did not know. They believe that there are caves and underground entrances to subterrestrial worlds. Some have connected the Hindu land of Aryavarta, or Abode of the Excellent Ones, a land ruled by a supernatural race thousands of years before the Great War laid out in the Mahabharata. Many believe this ancient race is one of the same lineage as the ancient civilizations from Atlantis, Lemuria, and Mu that were wiped out by war and cataclysmic events, driving them underground to Agartha. So there's like multiple ancient civilizations, but they've all been driven to one place? Is that what that yeah, is? Yeah, it's kind of what it seems like. Yeah, it's That's cool. super interesting. Uh-huh. And uh, there is another underworld in the Hindu Mahabharata known as Patala that others point to, as it shares many similarities with depictions of a subterranean world, though it is said they are at war with the Agarthans. Oh, yeah. underground warfare. Underground warfare. Totally different style, because you can't use explosives, because if you do, the uh, fucking roof will cave in you yeah, all Yeah, definitely. Patala is the seventh layer of the underworld in Hindu scriptures and is ruled by the Nagas, a half-human, half-reptilian species who are depicted with jeweled hoods that light their realm. 
The Naga are a highly advanced race with cutting-edge technology. Occasionally, they are said to abduct, torture, and kill humans, although other accounts refer to them as having a positive impact on earthly events. So these are might be where we get some of our reptilian literature as well. Or not literature, but just uh, beliefs. I um I love that. I just think it's so interesting that like again, there are just there are theories from all over the world that share similarities, and that to me is very intriguing. Yeah, we're all scared of snakes. All like we don't like scaly things. That's one way to look at it, yeah. Chad. Or I like to go like maybe reptilians are real, and all these <laughs> civilizations encounter them in some way. It could be know. very well could be. All right, so I saved the my favorite for last because I know we both fucking love Greek mythology. <laughs> so so they don't necessarily start out as being a below-the-ground race, but eventually they get there. Okay. So Hyperboreans were a mythical people who lived in the far northern part of the known world. Their name appears to derive from the Greek words that translate to beyond Boreas or the personified north wind. Despite their location in an otherwise frigid part of the world, the Hyperboreans were believed to inhabit a sunny, temperate, and divinely blessed land. In many versions of the story, they lived north of the Raphian Mountains, which shielded them from the effects of the cold north wind. Hmm. Maybe the same mountains that a yeah. certain Admiral Bird came mm, I across? I didn't make that connection. Weird. The oldest myths portray them as the favorites of Apollo, and some ancient Greek writers regarded the Hyperboreans as the mythical founders of Apollo's shrines at Delphos and Delphi. Later writers disagreed on the existence and location of the Hyperboreans, with some regarding them as purely mythological, and others connecting them to real-world peoples and places in northern Europe, like Britain, Scandinavia, or Siberia. In medieval and Renaissance literature, the Hyperboreans came to signify remoteness and exoticism. Modern scholars consider the Hyperborean myth to be an amalgamation of ideas about things like ancient utopianism, edge of the earth stories, the cult of Apollo, and exaggerated reports of phenomena in northern Europe, like things like the midnight sun. Basically, that was like where during the like near the solstice, especially I mean on the solstice, I know for sure, but for a while the sun just won't go down once you get past the Arctic Circle. Right. So this was just sort of like uh, trying to explain that. It also appears that the idea of Hyperborea being located at the farthest point north beyond the Arctic Circle seems to have come from a conflation of that lost civilization with another mythical northerly island called Ultima Thule, which becomes important in just a second. So as Hyperboreans sort of ingrained themselves in Greek storytelling, they started to become used to help describe certain people's lineage, specifically Scandinavians. When uh, they brought these stories to the people that were living up there, they were easily able to relate to them, especially in the northern parts of the region. Just as these folks took the myth of Hyperborea and asserted its connection to their notions of racial descent, so Germans took the myth of Ultima Thule and claimed it as part and parcel of their Aryan myth. Among these, of course, were the members of the Thule Society, or the Thule Gesellschaft. Mm, th- yeah, nice so... Well done. They were basically just uh, taking this and saying, this is why we're right. And so they just fucking shit up the Nazis. The Thiel Society did not necessarily believe that this beautiful, fertile land that enjoyed a perpetual spring had ever existed at the North Pole. But they did think, however, that it could have existed beneath it. And so throughout their literature can be seen references to Holwetelher, or Hollow Earth Theory. So, we made it full circle again, all the way back to Nazis, everyone. Congratulations. They were everywhere, doing all sorts of shit back then. So, they took that that myth and clung to it and changed it just a little bit, and then that was one of the uh, groups of people that they believed were underneath the Earth as well. Mm. Yeah. Okay, so, now that we have you guys convinced the Earth is hollow, we're going to take that and we're going to flip it. Our last theory comes from a man named Cyrus Teed, a doctor from upstate New York. 
This man came into the scene hot. He looked at the hollow earth theory and thought, hey, this isn't ridiculous enough. This fucking guy proposed that instead of saying humans live on the outside surface of a hollow planet, sometimes called a convex hollow earth hypothesis, that we live on the inside surface of a hollow spherical world so that our universe itself lies in that world's interior. This is called the concave hollow earth hypothesis or sky centrism. Tweed decided to call his proposal cellular cosmogony and he founded a group called the Coretian Unity based on this notion, which he calls Koreshanity. Wow. He had he was making all sorts of shit up. He was he just was on a roll. He had, yeah, he was. He was like puffing ether or something. Having. Yeah, drinking all that original Coca-Cola. He was hyped up. He was on the uh, OG Vyvanse. Yeah. What if, <laughs> I mean, just listen to me. What if, for a fucking second, we are on the outside of the earth, we're on the inside. We're just fucking here, man, you know, and the like fucking the- universe is out actually in the middle. And I just like people, I guess, also believe this at least briefly or some group of people did anyway. Basically, so think like you're looking at a ball. It's hollow on the inside, right? People are standing on the outside. That's the convex theory. Concave theory is if all those people were on the inside surface the inside wall of the ball of the ball. And everything just pointed inward to the and center. And the sky that we look at is inside the ball. Yeah. Just, so we'll throw up some images to help pretty you guys heady thought, this. man. It's pretty heady for sure. I like to think of this guy really instead of like um, the leader of the convex earth theory. Or excuse me, the leader of the concave earth theory. That in reality, he was really more just like the king of improv. Yeah, he was just he was, making shit up He was the king of along. yes and. Yeah. So he was like, <laughs> yes, the earth is hollow and we live on the inside. And Whoa. I'm high on cocaine. <laughs> uh, so the main colony of the Koreshanity survives as a preserved Florida State historic site at S. Taro, Florida, but all of Teed's followers have now died. They would be in Florida. They fucking would be. Of course this guy was living in Florida. I can't fucking believe they were huffing paint already back then. <laughs> Just all sorts of weird stuff's been going on there from the dawn of time, apparently. Well, They're, they're drawn there. They, yeah, they're I think so. They're called there. Yeah, it's the motherland. Mm-hmm. Well, several 20th century German writers, including Peter Bender, Johannes Lang, Karl Neupert, and Fritz Braut, published works advocating the hollow earth hypothesis or Hohwetteler. It has even been reported, although apparently without historical documentation, that Adolf Hitler was influenced by concave hollow earth ideas and sent an expedition in an unsuccessful attempt to spy on the British fleet by pointing infrared cameras up at the sky. That's wild. Yeah, he fucking, uh, Hitler literally was on all sorts of shit. He was like, just going to try everything. Yeah, whatever might save his rake. And none of it did, thank God. Yeah, right? (laughs) Seriously. Turns out he was fucking crazy. So I think we'd also be remiss if we didn't mention, once again, the Lemurians in Mount Shasta here as well. So we've mentioned them a couple of times, mostly in our Missing 411 series, but they could definitely fit into this category of strangeness as well. So Lemurians, for those who don't know, are a race of people whose society existed during the same time as the Atlanteans. These two powerful, intelligent cultures had different ideas on how to influence the rest of the world. Atlantis wanted to control humanity, while Lemuria wanted to simply let them exist on their own. These two great civilizations went to war over their different beliefs and eventually blasted each other's continents into the ocean. The survivors scattered, and many Lemurians chose to live in an intricate cave system that is said to be located beneath Mount Shasta, California. I love it. I do too. This I love is it. one of my favorite strange it's stories. It's so California. It really is. <laughs> 
There have been many accounts of run-ins with Lemurians or other mysterious beings on Mount Shasta, none of which have been substantiated, but who cares? It's Lemurians. I'm fucking about it. So there are a couple of early eyewitness accounts that created the large movement in the belief of Lemuria. In 1904, there was a British prospector named J.C. Brown who claimed to found an underground city 11 miles deep in the mountain. It was full of gold, shields, and mummies, some of which were 10 feet tall. Yeah, when he told his story to other people, the group compiled an 80-person team to explore the mountain for the underground city, but on the day the team was to set out, J.C. Brown disappeared. What? Yeah, he's like, I got to go uh, return some videotapes. He took off. Uh, yeah, either he <laughs> took off or the the Murians told him not to share. Oh, maybe knew. he went back to the tunnels. Yeah, you got to open up your mind, man. I guess so. I'm thinking in two, uh, 3D chess. I should be thinking in 4D chess, exactly. right? Exactly. Exactly. Jesus. If anyone out there that says that stupid shit could even fathom what 4D chess is, would even look like, uh, they wouldn't be saying it. So, anywho, in the early 1930s, a man named Guy Ballard reported to meet St. Germain on the mountain, which led to the founding of the I Am movement, which led over a million followers uh, in the late 1930s until Ballard's death. So, the big spiritual movement that happened out there over this. Cool. Um, yeah, so the belief in Lemuria... Also, St. Germain, that's the name of the uh, like rogue magician on Castlevania. Oh, shit, it is. Ooh, weird. Well, I know. Yeah, Castlevania, go watch it. The belief in Lemuria in Mount Shasta and subsequent witness accounts have been incorporated into numerous cult religions, including I Am, the Summit Lighthouse, Church Universal and Triumphant, and uh, one called Cryon, which I had not heard of. <gasps> I yeah. didn't know Church Universal and Triumphant was a part of this. Like Everyone wants to believe in the Lemurians. Wow. Yeah. that's That hits close to home, though. It does. But yeah, with that, with Lemuria making an appearance in the episode, that's Hollow Earth, folks. Before we wrap up, can I tell you my theory? Yes, tell me the theory. Sorry, right. I, f- I forgot to remind you. No, no, it's okay. And here's the deal. I have just noticed some trends in all of these different um, all of these different topics that we've been covering, right? Missing 411 talks a lot about, or if you, if you really dive into Missing 411, some people really look into the cave structures in the United States, right? Yeah. And that they think that that's why people, some people go missing. Is they, uh-huh. They've either fallen into the caves or they've gotten lost underground or whatever. Maybe we could step into the space of they found some underground city. They found an underground civilization and they've just not returned. That, okay. could be, that could be a thing. We've also seen a big trend in um, alien interference, right? So there's the extraterrestrials, but now also subterrestrials talking about how... Um, we fucked up our planet. There's atomic war. There's pollution. There's poverty. Um, and all of these things don't have to exist. We we just have enabled them, right? Okay. Some theories with Missing 411, they don't necessarily speak to cave systems, right? But some people think, or it's been hinted at, that there is some sort of tear or rip in our reality, right? Or in the space-time dimension, maybe into the fourth dimension. There's there's something, there's a blip that's happening and these people are falling through the cracks, Yeah, right? we've talked about that before. Yeah. Great. Another theory about NASA and the space and space exploration says that we were initially exploring the ocean. There are some people that theorize that in the, the exploration of the ocean, we have come in contact with space creatures or there is like a, not necessarily a portal, but like a, uh, another one of those tears that would just lead you directly into space. That That's in, yeah, within yeah, yeah. the earth, right? 
What if all of these hollow earth theories and encounters are instead people encountering rips and tears in reality in fourth dimensions and they just don't have the words to articulate it. So instead they're like, oh, this was inside the earth all along. Oh, yeah. Maybe they turned a corner and it wasn't a hole in the ground. It was just a, a hole that they went into. A hole in reality. Yeah, weird. What if mm. Admiral Burr's experience, Admiral Byrd's experience wasn't necessarily him in literal, like at the literal North Pole, but in his flight shifted reality. Yeah. I also want to note the beings that he's encountered, right? They're, they're described as like very, very tall blonde people. How many times have we heard that the Nordic blondes live on planet Earth? Yeah, lots. lots. A lot of times. Mm. So maybe they're living on planet Earth or maybe they're living like within some realm that exists, like the portal exists on planet Earth. And maybe, maybe that's why Paul Hellyer and freaking Alan Michael and all of these other people who have had UFO, UAP encounters are getting messages saying that we're fucking it up because... If we fuck up our planet, we will literally alter this other alien race. Hmm, damn, that's weird. I know. I'm just saying that we have done some interesting stories. I didn't expect all of them to have these commonalities. And I have personally just kind of seen some trends happening. Am I looking for dots to connect? Very. That's very possible. <laughs> Maybe. I am fully embedded in this world now. But that's my theory. That's my theory is that it's not actually a literal hollow earth, but more so um, uh, another way to enter a different reality, space, time, dimension, whatever you want to call it. Wow. All right. Boom. Mic drop. Cool. That's a cool How take. Like I like apples? that. I think that's very interesting. I'd like to think more about that. After we're finished recording, I can lay in bed and think really hard about what you just said. I know. Uh, it's going to take a couple laps. Okay. I think for me to wrap my, my head around it. We'll spitball it. But yeah, if you have any thoughts on my theory, um, Let hop us in know. the Discord. Yeah, yeah, I'd love to chat with you guys about it. Yeah, cool. Well, anyway, all right, thanks, I thank you for letting me. I'll step off my soapbox, but <laughs> I just had to say it. Well, guys, some of you probably, if you made it to this point, are asking yourself, why on earth are we talking about hollow earth theory anyway? Well, it's because if you don't learn from your history, it repeats itself. Do you really want to be down in Florida trying to, to pseudoscience your way into believing we're on the inside of a sphere looking inward again? No, I don't think no. you do. I know I don't. This is I, We know it's a silly topic. It's very hard to find proof for this, but it's been such an inspiration, and it's been a great thought experiment for so many writers and filmmakers. It's not hard for your imagination to run wild when you start to think that somewhere right below you is another reality you may never take part in. It can leave us with a sense of wonder or sometimes fear, but ultimately, I think it's another piece of humanity that brings us all a little closer together. Yeah. And that's the show. I love it. It's the what if of it all. It is. And I, I really do think it's like there's so many great books and pieces and films and stuff that have been based off the idea that there is something below us that I think it is really important that it's like was the thing that happened because you wouldn't have Journey to the Center of the Earth. You wouldn't have Land of the Lost, which I really liked growing up as a kid. Yeah. Um, King Kong, like we said, there's a lot of stuff about yeah. Hollow Earth involving the new King Kong movies. And so, yeah, there's just I think it's all it's in our it's in the lore. And it's just part of who we are as humanity. I think everyone's got that sort of weird idea of like what might be lurking below. It's good to question your reality. I think so. It's Deep time is terrifying. We don't know what happened to make us this way. And it probably was really scary. Yeah, Because otherwise we wouldn't be this worried about it. And that's what's yeah. really scary. Who knows <laughs> what happened back then. 
Well, look, if you want to do some digging of your own, everything I've seen points to a book called The Hollow Earth written by Raymond Bernard. It was in the 70s, I think, or maybe the early 80s. If you can, I would suggest getting this because finding things on the internet about this was honestly way harder than I thought it would be. Do yourself a favor and go read something that already has been put together, or you can uh, hop in our Discord and check out the sources we've so graciously curated for you today. Nice plug. I think that's like our third or fourth one, but solid. We're feeding them feeding them in today yeah well like we've said before if you do want to join our discord you can find it on instagram at the underscore lrh underscore pod give us a follow while you're over there as well and like some of our stuff we're trying to beat that robot algorithm every single day and it's up to our listeners and uh people like you out there to help us we'd really we really appreciate it pro tip in case you didn't get the memo on one of our other episodes save is the new like on instagram so if you hit that like little bookmark button in yeah. the bottom right part of our image, that's actually going to take us a lot further than your like did. So, I always forget that. Yeah, it's, it's, it is the way now, apparently. This is the way. <laughs> this is the way. Um, you can also find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash the LRH pod. And you can reach us via email at the LRH show at gmail.com. Yeah, if you got any stories you want to share, tell us about the time you saw a werewolf, a ghost, uh, some strange out-of-body experience you've had, email us and let us know. We'd love to to hear your stories guys we would love to hear your stories please yes if you want to contribute to the podcast you can join us on patreon at patreon.com slash the lrh podcast we i've decided what we're going to be doing for our patrons uh starting in june so that's going to be coming up really really soon we're really excited about it and uh if you want to know more join the discord Ah, yeah, well, we're, we're not gonna. Discord, baby. Yeah, we're not gonna say exactly what it is just yet. I think it's gonna be really fun and a great way for our patrons to just get a little bit of extra content, and it's uh, something that I like doing. So yeah, and connect with one another, and yeah, it'll be fun. Yeah, we also have something that's gonna be happening in the Discord as well for just anyone who wants to. So keep an eye out for that as well. Um, if you're listening on YouTube, be sure to like and subscribe. If you're not listening on YouTube, go to YouTube and like and subscribe yeah. some of our videos. That helps a ton as well. And whatever platform you're listening to this on, please leave us a review and a rating. Let us know what you think. Any press is good press, right? So let us know what you think. Totally. And Throw it at us. That's it. Basically, just click all the buttons you can click. Yeah, anything, any button you can. And I'm going to try and make it really simple and get a link tree for us very, very soon. Then you can click one link and it will send you to literally anything. that It gives you the option to click anything that you want without having to type in a bunch of shit. We're going to be so profesh. Yeah, definitely. So keep an eye out for all that stuff, though, guys. Thanks so much for listening to this podcast. And that's it for this week, right? That's all the things. All right. Before we take off, everyone, just want to let you know my mama it's coming to town this weekend. She's going to be here for a couple of days, so we're not sure if we're going to have time to record a mini-sode next week, but uh, if we can't, we'll be sure to be back later that week with our regular episode. So, yeah, that's it. Keep an eye on the Discord for more information. Yeah, it's a great, a great source for info. Five times. <laughs> <laughs> well, all right, that's it for this episode, everyone. Thank you once again for listening. We appreciate all of you, and as always, thanks for joining us on The, the Long, Long Road, Road Home. Home. We'll see you later. Bye, Bye, everybody. Bye, everyone. Later, Gator. <laughs>